0: As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by SubSplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And SubSplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app it brings people together empowers giving and transforms lives If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com That's s-u-b-s-p-l-a-s-h dot com subsplash.com Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Your kid's baseball team has coaches. Your spiritual life needs a coach. But what about your leadership life? Is it possible to find somebody to coach you up in a way that makes you a better leader? Well, that's what we're going to discuss today on this episode of Simple Faith. I'm your host, Rusty George, and as we say all the time, following Jesus isn't easy, but it's not complicated. And we always work on this podcast to make faith a bit more simple. Today we get to meet a new friend. His name is Matt Piland, and he works with a group of courageous pastors to help other people be courageous under the umbrella of Courage to Lead and Sean Lovejoy's organization. Matt is an incredible pastor and leader, father and husband, And he's going to join us today to break down what is a leadership coach? How do you find one? How do you know you need one? And how could you even become one? We're going to get some great stuff out of Matt today. I know you're going to be blessed by listening to him. I want to thank our friends over at Subsplash for their partnership with the show and for their sponsorship of it. And I want to thank them for all they do for so many churches. We've been a big fan and subscriber to Subsplash for years, and they continue to do great work for us. So make sure that you check them out for all of your technology needs, especially. Thinking about building an app, thinking about updating your website, thinking about changing your giving platform check out subsplash. Well, I know you're going to be blessed by what our new friend Matt has to say to us. So here we go. My conversation with Matt Pyland. Matt, great to have you on the podcast for our listeners. Let's start with how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Pylond Pyland? Tell me about it.
1: Pilon, Pilon. Exactly. It's Pilon. Okay. Pilon. If there was a Y there, it'd be way easier. Yes. So it's Pilon.
0: Okay. Well, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you're from the South and you have traveled around a little bit. Give us kind of the, uh, the, the heritage, the lineage, the life of, of Matt Pyland.
1: Yeah. So my early years, I was raised in Louisiana, um, as Rusty, as you know, I'm a LSU fan. So I grew up in Louisiana. Uh, on a bayou, red shoot bayou, and that that there were some really incredible times just kind of growing up fishing and being on the bayou, and uh, that that was that was kind of a a dream place for a kid who enjoys the outdoors to kind of grow up. So loved it. Um, still have so many good relationships there and friendships, deep friendships that I still have today. Um, my dad was a pastor, uh, so he was a senior pastor uh, much of my life. He was also in the military. Uh, he was, he retired a lieutenant colonel and did nine years of active duty and then came off of active duty and became a pastor full time. So we kind of lived in both of those worlds. And so I really identify kind of in those areas. Uh, I, I love the military, have just a huge amount of respect for the men and women that serve our country. It, it, it's something that, um, that that's really every time I go onto a base with my dad, there's just something nostalgic about it. So, um, but we moved my freshman year of high school. My dad took a church kind of where they grew up in the Tidewater area of Virginia and,
2: hmm.
1: uh, was introduced, uh, to basketball there. Uh, thought I was a really good basketball player until I got to Virginia and realized what basketball actually was. Uh, but just, love sports love the outdoors and my dad my mom still married incredible story they moved here after retirement so my dad works uh in the nursery at our one of our campuses which is crazy so he was at one time he was the president of the virginia baptist convention he's serving in the nursery and he always tells me he said son i mean don't you have any pool can't you get me out of here but the but the truth is, he does such a good job; they won't let him go. So, uh, but I thought, how cool, you know, someone who served 35 years um, as a as a senior pastor now is in his, you know, the fourth quarter of his his years in ministry is is serving and volunteering. So, the joke around my house, my wife and I, is we want to get to the place where I'm literally handing out bulletins and nobody has a clue what I did in the past. So, mm. uh, we just want to serve the church and be just great volunteers. That That is our goal in life.
0: That is amazing. Now, I, I gotta ask you about this because sometimes when your dad's in the military, you grow up resenting the military. It made you move so much. It took your dad away, that kind of thing. Sometimes when your dad's a pastor, people grow up resenting that, they resent the church. But here you are with deep love for the military and the church and you work as a pastor. What does your dad do? that allowed you to look favorably upon his job rather than resenting it?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's a difference between presence and proximity, um, you know, sometimes, especially in military and also in uh, uh, the, the life of a senior pastor, especially as it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation. I mean, if you did, if you did church back in the day, um, I mean, yeah. it, there was a lot going on. It was was a lot of activity, and so you know i mean truthfully my dad missed a lot of my games i mean there were times uh he even talks about resentment today of like you know if i could do it all over again i would have been more at more of your games um he never misses my kids games they're at all of them uh, which is really cool in this season but my dad uh, my dad was always present Hmm. so in my life so even even if maybe sometimes not in proximity he was present. And I think, you know, sometimes good leadership for us as is, is husbands and, and, you know, wives for, with our kids is like some, some of us are have close proximity, but we're not present. Right.
2: We're on our phone.
1: And so my dad didn't, wasn't always there all the time, although he was there a lot, there was still a presence there that he was very involved in my life and we had deep conversations. So, he just, he just always modeled that, and I haven't forgotten that, and hopefully I do that with my own kids.
0: How many kids do you have?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, it seems like 15, but it's four. So, <laughs> I mean, they are so busy.
2: <laughs>
1: so, we have, uh, we, have, uh, we have a daughter who just turned 13 yesterday.
2: Hmm. So,
1: I am officially the dad of a teenager, and she is in seventh grade, and she is amazing uh, she is an overachiever. She loves Jesus. She is in a great friend group at her at her school, and we we even she invites so many people to, to student ministry. We, we we call it church bus. So our van, like we call it church bus, we pick up so many kids and, and take them to church. But she she's really special. So she turned thirteen yesterday, and then uh, we have um, an eleven year old. Uh, then we have uh, a nine year old, a six year old. They're all boys. Mm. so there's 14 months difference between my first two kids wow so they're all about to have birthdays but they're all like i mean they're they're pretty close together wow what is- um we bought a new minivan the end of november and we were joking last night my wife and i we put uh almost 14,000 miles on that van since since the end of november oh
2: my goodness and that's just
1: taking them to sports and everything else that they're involved in and we love it we love it so oh. it's great
0: that's so fun. All right. Well, that's a fun season, definitely. Tell us about the role that you play at your church. Tell our listeners a little bit about what church you're at, where it's at, and what your job is.
1: Yeah. So a really cool season at Bethlehem Church. Uh, just a little bit of the history, just real quick. Uh, Bethlehem is a church that 12 years ago was had been declining for a decade. It was running about 250, 300 people it was a uh, a church that hadn't seen any wins, very few baptisms over the uh, over that decade, and so our lead pastor, Pastor Jason, who is also a friend of mine, we worked together at a church called Twelve Stone Church, and we were there together. Um, and he came to be the to the senior pastor. I told him he was crazy. I was like, "They're going to eat your lunch. You don't stand a chance." And now I work for him. So <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. We joke around about that, but. Uh, So Bethlehem is a church very much of um, just an unbelievable amount of growth in the past decade. So um, it's a church that runs close to 6,000 a weekend now. Mm. Um, We are in the process of building a a new central campus, and it is just explosive growth. We just started a Thursday night service. I think Rusty, you and I talked about that, and it is... um, you know, it's just everything that we are doing right now. I mean, momentum is on our side. Mm-hmm. So we have multiple campuses. Uh, we've had opportunities to have uh, a couple other campuses and we might do that in the future, but it is a multi-site church and mean God's just, God's blessing. So we always say right time, right place, right leader. Yeah. So that's that those, the convergence of those three things are, I think the reason why we're seeing the type of explosive growth that we've seen over the past a uh, few years here. So my job is executive pastor. I'm over ministries and leadership. And then I, I'm also serve as a teaching pastor. So I, I, I teach about 15, 18 times a year. We are a central model. So, uh, our campuses are centralized when it comes to teaching. So they, they watch us on a, on a screen mm. and, so my primary responsibility is leadership development and our staff in ministry. I'm also over our campus pastors. So I get a chance to lead them and invest in them. And I'll tell you, man, it's, it's really a dream job. I joke around because, you know, six years ago when Jason asked me to be his executive pastor, I started laughing. My wife and I actually still laugh that I'm executive pastor. Um, but she, uh, you know, he, he said... You know, here's what I want from you. I want someone who I trust, someone who can preach, and someone who can lead. Mm. And we just began to pray about that, and you know, all three of those things were were things that we identified with. We trusted Jason, knew him, his wife Nan. They're 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 precious to us, and we love serving with them, and um, and love to teach God's word. It's it's honestly, it's one of my primary gifts, um, and. Uh, I love leadership, so I love to lead people, love to coach people, love to see people win, and I get to do all three of those things. So those, it's it's really it's really a special season of ministry for us.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, that is a a sweet spot for you, and a lot of a lot of unique things going on right there. What's the toughest thing about working with a close friend? Because everybody thinks, boy, if I could hire my best friend, this would be awesome. And I, I've noticed because I've done it. Uh, there are pluses and minuses to it. What have you discovered?
1: For sure, I mean, you got to know which hat to wear when. So we always we always say, "Hey, I'm taking my friend hat on, and I, I'm put, I'm putting my you know boss hat on, or my you know senior pastor hat on." And so, I mean, I think if you can understand that and you can separate those two things, then it can be an incredible incredible gift. It really can be. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things that we learned, we, we actually, we work out together Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, in the mornings, we, we got a trainer friend that shows up and, um, he, he helps us, (laughs) tells us what to do. Uh, and we've just learned that there are certain areas of life that we have to draw boundaries and draw lines. So we don't talk about church when we're at the gym. I don't, I don't bring up staffing things. I don't, when he, when he brings something up, we I change the subject or he'll change the subject if I slip and say something about the church. And and so what we try to do is just, you know, create compartments of like, hey, we're friends here. We're doing life here, working out, playing golf, whatever it is. And then these are the areas that we're like, OK, now I'm putting I'm putting the work hat on. I'm putting the ministry hat on. Um, and then when you can learn to, to separate those two worlds, it can be it can be really important. A, a beautiful thing um, because there's, there's a level of trust that you have with people that you've done life with for years that is so valuable, especially when you get in the trenches of ministry. Uh, so if you can hold on to those things um, and you can you know, not allow the enemy to get a foothold and try to divide that, that friendship and that relationship, man, it can be an incredible, mm-hmm. incredible gift to not only you, but also the church as well. Mm. So Jason never has to worry about, you know, Matt's going to go into a room and he's going to, he's going to change the culture of the organization. Right. We we were actually, it's funny enough. We were talking about that today. Uh, I lead our senior staff. He's not in there. Mm. He can be, but he's not in there. Um, he can show up anytime he wants to, but what he knows is that, you know, I, I don't just lead the church the way I would lead it. I lead it the way he would lead it. And so, I don't create culture, I steward culture. That's kind of some of the verbiage that that we use around here.
2: Mm,
0: That's such a good line. Uh, With your model, you have campuses, they're video teaching. That requires a certain skill set for the campus pastor. They're not necessarily a lead communicator, they're more of a um, uh, a host or an MC or a coordinator of sorts. They they don't cast the vision. They carry the vision. What are you looking for in a campus pastor? And tell us some of the traits of a really good campus pastor.
1: Yeah, fu- funny enough, today, I was talking to um, David Thompson, who is the uh, executive pastor at Summit Church, with uh, J.D. Greer, and we were we were with each other I think a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about campus pastors, and I said, interestingly enough. None of our campus pastors want to preach, <laughs> and so he he started joking. He said, "That's so rare. Yeah. In fact, we we might trade you. Can we make a trade? We'll trade <laughs> you a. We'll trade you if you because honestly, we even tr- you know we ask them to preach two or three times a year, and you know there's always this, to some degree a hesitance or a resistance." So that can be a blessing in our model. A lot of times it's not that way. I was a campus pastor at 12 Stone. I mean, it was a church that was running uh, almost 20,000 at the time. I mean, our campus alone had 1,500 plus and five services, and I very rarely ever preached. But, you know, I learned the art of there's there's a difference between leading on the stage and leading from the back of the room. And what I learned is the art of leading from the back of the room. And so one of the things that I hope that our campus pastors realize that, you know, just because somebody's put a microphone in your hand and you are communicating, uh, that, that that is not the ultimate form of leadership. So they can lead from the back of the room and their influence can be great. Mm-hmm. So it is. I go on their campuses, quite frankly, um, it's 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 fascinating to me. Like even after services, sometimes they'll come up to the campus pastor and say, man, what a great sermon, man. Thank you so much for that. As if they were up there delivering it. Um, and what it is, it's just this, it's, it literally, they, they don't think about Jason or Matt. They think about Bethlehem church and what it's doing for their family, what it's doing for their marriages. And
2: hmm.
1: so their pastor is Pastor Drew or Pastor Jeremy, like that is their pastor. It's not Matt. Matt's the guy that communicates or Jason's the guy that communicates God's word. Hmm. But their pastor, the one who's involved in their life, doing life with them through, from pastoral care to to ministry and serving alongside of them is their campus pastor. So hmm. I just think that you can have a tremendous amount of influence um, on a campus as a campus pastor. I just believe in the model. I, I, I think some people are gifted to teach and uh, there's probably a wrestle if you don't get to do that. But if if you don't have to do that every week, you can actually, I, it sounds crazy. I think in some ways you can have even have more influence mm-hmm. because you have more time in the week to devote to pastoring your people and not spending 20 hours writing a message and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, Memorizing it and preaching it over and over before you deliver it, you know, on a Sunday or a Thursday or, or a Saturday or whenever.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. The weeks that I don't have to teach, uh, not only is, is the weight lifted, but the ability to have more coffees with people and lunch and, you know, hang out with people and have conversations, it, it goes through the roof. It's amazing what you're able to accomplish. For sure. Okay. So you're an executive pastor. Uh, That is one of the top questions I get from people is, hey, what do I look for in a good XP? (laughs) Uh, And sometimes they already have an XP. They're looking for somebody else, right? Right, right. So what have you learned as, you know, you used to be at a church where you saw a great XP and Dan Ryland, definitely. uh, And you saw just leadership, you know, uh, leadership savant. But what have you learned as, okay, this is what I can do, and this is what my gifts are, and this is what a good XP needs to do?
1: That's a great question, Rusty, because really, I mean, when we say XP, uh, it looks different at every church. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's, it's the, how best can I serve the lead pastor? So, you know, one of the things that I did really early on when I got to Bethlehem Church is I had to have the, uh, I had to have the DTR. Okay. So the DTR is the define the relationship. Mm -hmm. And you you remember that from the old, old days of dating. It's like, okay, where are we going with this? What does this look like? I mean, how, you know? And so I had to sit down with Jason and go ask him, you know, what do you want from me? What is helpful? And quite frankly, it took two years to fully figure that out. Mm-hmm. where I could make decisions, not just the way, again, the way I would make decisions, but the way Jason would make decisions. So he- here's what I arrived at. <laughs> he's dad and I'm mom. Now, I don't know if that's perfect, but he's dad, you know, uh, and I'm mom. So I care for the staff. I'm I'm, I'm involved with the staff on a regular basis. Um, you know, he, he comes in and he, he gets to be the hero, uh, quite frankly, in a lot of different rooms. And when he steps in the room, I step back. When he steps out, I step forward. So that's how our leadership works really well. Jason knows when he walks into the room, he's the leader. I don't fight him for that. Uh, I'm not jealous of his leadership. Um, you know, I'm not envious of his leadership. Hmm. So when he steps in the room, I take a step back. Yeah, I take a step back in the way I communicate, uh, the way I address him the way I address our staff. And I think again that's that's out of honor for him because I do think that authority is a moral issue.
2: Hmm.
1: So Rusty, you and I may have like opinions and we may have convictions. Well, opinions are I like chocolate, you like vanilla. Mm-hmm. You know, who cares? Like I like rock and roll, you like country music, whatever it is. Like the, the, those are opinions, but convictions are are worth taking a stance on. convictions are worth leaving over mm-hmm. and I think many times we we have opinions and that we think are convictions and they're really not We just want to be right mm. like we do we just we want we want someone else to see the world or see this leadership situation the same way we do. Well, I, I have to be honest with myself and go, okay, is, is this a conviction or is this opinion? Mm. And where it's an opinion, I just, I step back and I, it doesn't matter. If it's a conviction, then I have a hard conversation with Jason, not in front of anybody else, but in private. Hey, let me ask you, let me ask you a question about the, 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 the reason or the decision that you made in this area. And so we'll have hard conversations about it. But when we leave that room, we're on the same page. That's good. And if I can't leave that room and be on the same page with him, then I need to go. Hmm. I need to because again, uh, authority is a moral issue. If I cannot be under his authority and I'm trying to subvert his authority in a, you know in, in some other way then that that's not just between Jason and I, that's that's between God, Mm not like that. God establishes authority. We see that throughout scripture. Um, yeah. So I think a good executive pastor, and I I got a list of things by the way, but a good executive pastor in many ways is a good soldier. It really is. I mean, I do what is necessary of me in situations, um, that benefit the organization and benefit Jason's leadership. Mm hmm. So there's some times where I have to have the hard conversation with somebody so that he can, he doesn't have to. And that's not always easy with my personality. In fact, I just did a 360 evaluation of myself two days ago. So
2: 360
1: evaluation, this is where I see myself, the six people I sent this survey to, this is where they see me. And when I was sitting down with a leadership coach, he goes, I'm gonna give you one word for you, conflict. And he's like, I don't mean external, I mean internal. Like your job requires you doing things that are not natural to you as a, as in your personality and wiring. Mm -hmm. So, but it's demanded of me in my organization. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? If you do that too long, you're, you're, you're going to suffer and you're going to, you know, you, you're 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 going to drown, mm-hmm. or you're going to get in a position where you get bitterness starts rising up because you know, you're just you're not being you're pouring out, but you're not you're not being poured into. One of the things that's beautiful about Jason and I are and and the relationship here at Bethlehem Church is he he fills my cup too. Mm-hmm. I, at my core, I'm a Bible teacher. Like I love to teach. People respond to it. Um, so he gives me. I mean, there are opportunities that. I am preaching and he's sitting in the seats. So he he's even gone to other campuses when I'm on a screen and sat in a seat mm-hmm. and watched. Well, what does that say to everybody else? Hey, I'm both am an authority and I can also be under authority. Mm-hmm. And I think when you can when when that relationship is that way, then um I think it can thrive because Mm -hmm. Jason and I, and we say this over and over, we are not in competition competition with each other. And if you are, I promise you your staff feels it. Yeah. They sense it. That's good. You're undercutting your senior pastor's leadership and meetings and little, you know, statements you're making here and there. And so your staff starts picking up on it. Mm -hmm. And so I have to watch out. I got to pay attention to myself and go, Hey, I never want to do that because I never want people to think it's Jason uh, and Maddie, you know, against each other because we're not, mm-hmm. we're for each other.
0: That's so good. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app or your app seems to be a little bit limited, check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages And you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry, subsplash.com. Okay, back to our episode. Part of being an XP is to, you have to play play bad cop sometimes. And as you said, deal with conflict. And I know a lot of stuff ends up on your desk that never makes it to the lead guy's desk. How do you know what to take to him? Or how do you know what just to, (laughs) to clean up yourself, you know?
1: Is this personal, Rusty? Is this something like a pain file? (laughs) No, I just,
0: I just, uh, I know that my XP, uh, you know, covers up a lot of stuff as far as stuff I'll never know. And I appreciate that. But it is a, it's a bit of a, of a dance, you know, what,
1: it is a dance. What do I take in there? It is, it is an art and it is not a science. Right. And I think the more, the longer the relationship, the more you know of a person, the more you uh, can probably make better decisions in these areas. So, uh Jason and I quite frankly we've struggled through this mm. because Jason likes to know Jason will call me he'll call me today he's not here he's on the road and he'll say how was the day what you know what have I missed what's going on well I have to use wisdom and discretion on what I tell him uh you know hey I had a I had a conversation with this staff member And it went a long time and we're trying to make some progress. Well, if I bring him into that too early, his anxiety and his, his desire to fix it, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can solve this. I'm the, I'm the guy like I can get in I can solve this, but that actually does damage to the situation. It's not helpful. So obviously anything that is a threat to the organization, that is a threat to whether morally, legally, um, you know, a threat to his leadership or something like, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a person of influence that's kind of raising their hand. Then obviously I would bring him in the loop on that.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: but you know, we're at a place right now where he walked into a room the other day and was like, who are these three people? I don't even know their name. I was like, well, we hired them. (laughs) He's like, wow. Okay. So we're at that place, but that, that took years of trust. Right. Right. Um, and he's okay with that. So, I think at times I tell him more than I should. And when I do that and all of a sudden I I I hear his voice begin to raise or I feel that anxiety he's carrying and the weight he's carrying, then I go, okay, I should not have I should not have shared that with him. So I don't know if I have a like a one, two, three step process to it. But what I would say is kind of how I filter that is through, hey, in the end of the day, is this is this going to be a helpful conversation?
2: Mm.
1: Is this going to be a fruitful conversation at this stage with him? Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time, that's just personally how I filter through that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really good. Really good. Uh, you mentioned you the church grew from 250 people to 6,000 now. Uh, how come? I mean, obviously God. But, you know, we look at church growth and we think, you know, like Larry Osborne says, you need four things: you need uh, parking spaces, kids space, adult space, and good leadership structure. Right. Uh, others would say you need a good, uh, clear engagement pathway. You know, a, a good, a good funnel for growth, or maybe you just need uh, a fresh sen- sense of uh, vision or whatever. What was the secret sauce there at Bethlehem?
2: Yeah,
1: you know, I, I think it's always the convergence uh, of three things. So it's. Right time, mm-hmm. right place. Uh, this, uh, you know, brass tax. This area is going to grow by two hundred fifty thousand people in the next, you know, ten years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we're we're positioned for growth. Like if we're if you know if, if we're doing a halfway decent job, we should grow. And then right leadership. So I think the convergence of right time, right place, right leadership is kind of what leads fuels that crazy growth season. You know there's not a lot of churches out here that are doing things the right way. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that are struggling. a lot of churches that are going to close their door the next ten years or the next five years around here. Um, a lot of a lot of people whose pastors who say I want to change but they don't really want to change. And so there's a there's a growing demographic in this area. So Atlanta is spreading, right? So this is still kind of a metro. this is Metro Atlanta. Hmm. And, and so I think that's part of it. And then, honestly, it, it is literally the authenticity of our Sunday morning expression hmm. in, of worship and teaching, I think, is is really some of the secret sauce yeah. of who we are. Uh, I think we live in a, a day and age and time where it used to be that clergy and pastors were trusted when you told somebody, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor, like, oh that's awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. Now when you tell somebody you're a pastor, it's like, oh, you're you know, there's there's immediate there, there's like, you know, they're looking at you like, mm-hmm. you know, almost like you're Judas, right? I mean, like, are you stealing from the offering plate? Are you, you know? Right. And I think the authenticity of the way Jason leads the way we are uh, our, our expression of worship we, we are a baptist church most people don't even know that so we always say we're a little bapticostal bapticostal you know so that's that's kind of a word that people have made up around here
0: i've heard that
1: and so our, our worship is very expressive it's um man, it's, it's uplifting and you know i mean i think when we teach the word it's we teach it to Oftentimes we, in our, in our context, we are teaching the word and thinking through the context of a blue collar mm. male who is, you know, between, you know, 30 and 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Like I want to speak to that. I want to speak to that person.
0: So you know your audience.
1: And, so you know your audience mm-hmm. and it's, and it's just worked. Yeah, It's just worked. I think we're trustworthy. I think, Jason has a really good reputation in this in this community a lot of what if you if you would a lot of what we do is in the community so we we are a church who invests a tremendous amount of resources, time, finances, and staff into our community. Mm-hmm. so we have three full-time staff just in the area of community um, and that's all they do is serve our community and so we're involved in hmm many, many different organizations. We actually started a 501c3 called New Path 1010. And we, you know, they, they serve in this community as well. And so I just think we have a good reputation mm-hmm. in that area.
0: That's great. That's really great. Cause it is, a, it's kind of unique for everybody and you're right, mm-hmm. right person, right time, right place has so much to do with it. Um, at some point along your journey, you got a leadership coach. I heard you mention this. Um, tell us what that looked like. How did you know it was time for a coach? How'd you find a coach?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there, I always say there, there, there are things, you know, there's, there's things you don't know. And then there's things you don't know, you don't know. And the, the things I don't know, I don't know, are the things that scare me the most. Those Those are the things that can actually take you out.
0: Right, right.
1: So, Uh, you know, when I seek out a coach, I'm seeking out somebody who is further along in the process than I am, Mm -hmm. like they're, they're down the road. They, they have been, they are past currently where I am because they can speak, uh, with, with a, a measurable amount of wisdom to the specific season I'm in and, you know, for many years. I I call him a coach. He still coaches me now. And we meet together, Dan Ryland. Um, He was my boss at 12 Stone, but he was also my coach. And I learned so much about organizational leadership from him. Mm -hmm. I mean, just a tremendous amount of organizational leadership. If I learned spiritual uh, leadership from my dad, uh, who was a pastor and just poured into me, I learned organizational leadership from Dan Ryland. (laughs) Hmm. So I I I was my story was I was at a church that was fast growing, um, but I was there was no there there wasn't any leadership that was being poured into me specifically. Mm-hmm. So you know God began to move us, and and um, quite frankly, I was doing itinerant uh, ministry uh, speaking full time before I landed at Twelve Stone. Didn't think I would be at Twelve Stone very long. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd go be a senior pastor. And the Lord just kept us there for seven years, and Rusty, like that's seven years. I bet I preached uh, three times in seven years. Wow! At you know at, at Twelve Stone, and I remember. Uh, I remember this is actually kind of a, a marking moment for me. I had been invited to do uh, Clemson's FCA. And so I went and preached and spoke it on, it was a, it was a, you know, Wednesday night or Tuesday night. And I went and did uh, Clemson's FCA. There were, there were literally like 6,000 people. I think Clemson at the time, they may still have the largest FCA in the country. I mean, 6,000 people, there were, there were people everywhere. There were people outside. They had set up screens, not because I was there, just because, um, you know, they just had a good thing going. And I remember the next day I was at 12 stone and nobody knew that nobody even cared. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in a meeting and we were talking about discover 12 stone. And and the question was asked like, Matt, do you feel comfortable enough standing in front of, you know, which would have been like 30 people and doing the opening for discover 12 stone and everything in me wanted to raise my hand and go, guys, last night, I literally preached to 6,000 people. Like, yeah. And y'all, y'all, y'all don't have a clue. Uh, but what God was teaching me during that time was he was teaching me to be under authority. Mm-hmm. He was teaching me to lead from the back of the room, and he was teaching me organizational leadership. So I could not do what I do now if I did not pay the price for seven years mm-hmm. of learning and growing and being under a coach like Dan Ryland and, and Kevin Myers, um, who the, was the senior pastor there. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't do what I do now, Mm -hmm. and and I do think that there's some men and women in leadership. Like what they want to do is they they want to microwave the process. Mm -hmm. And honestly, quite frankly, not all the time, but sometimes church planners are people who are like kind of rogue and don't want to be under authority, don't want to learn, don't want to pay the price. Uh, You know, a lot of times I say, you know, a lot of times people want the platform without paying the price right and if i would have done that i would not be in the position i am now right being on a staff under authority not getting to teach setting those things aside for a for a, for a, a season right which was actually many years to learn these other things now god's using all of those things in my 40s you know as the executive pastor of a fast growing
2: church
0: mm-hmm um I love that you mentioned Dan Ryland. Uh, he is uh, a friend of the show, episode 215 for our listeners. If you want to, I'm sorry, 216, if you want to go back and listen to Dan, uh, he was awesome. And his latest uh, devotional, Yeah. Uh, I, I'm forgetting the name out of it right now. Uh, All it takes is a leader something like that. It, it's it's phenomenal. And I'm butchering the title yes. of Dan's book and I can tell by the I, look I, on I your went face. Through
1: it. Dan is amazing. So I told you it was amazing. Yeah. But.
0: Yeah. So can you remember the title of the book?
1: I can't. That's why I, I <laughs> said it's
2: amazing.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Dan. We love it, though. It's really good. It's a great devotional. Yeah, the, the, the contents are, are uh, more memorable than the actual title. So uh, anyway, so a lot of people get these titles confused or these terms confused. Uh, some people, they go get a coach, but what they really need is a counselor. <laughs> mm-hmm. They need someone to help them unpack the pain of their past or whatever they're going through. And some people go get a coach, and what they really need is a consultant. They need someone to give them some fresh ideas and to kind of walk them through uh, this new strategy. But a coach is different. How would you define that?
1: Yeah, so it may be going back to what we talked about earlier with my father, presence. Mm. So one of the things a coach is, a a coach is is, um, very much walking with you through the process. So if if I see a consultant almost like, um an itinerant preacher they're coming in to say some really hard things some things that need to be said right that nobody else maybe uh can say and then they're leaving and they, you know they're involved in the process to agree but but a coach is different you have access to a coach so when you're part of the coaching process i like i know a, a, you know at courageous pastors like one of the things i just i, I did a, a couple of coaching calls this week i'll do one tomorrow and zooms, but I always say to them afterwards, I'm like, "Hey, you—you you got my number. Like, if you need me, you call me. So there, there's you know, there's a lifeline if you would there, where it's like, okay, real time. I'm going through this. Can you help me with this, or can I run this past you? And I think it's part of the beauty of a coach. Like there, there are guys that in Rusty, you're the same way. There are guys like Dan Ryland and, and others that if I'm stuck. I can pick up the phone or I can send a text and go, hey, can we talk? And within 24 hours, I mean, we're going to have a conversation and those people are going to help me walk through those things. That's, that's what a, a coach does. Um, a lot of times, too, I mean, coaches are, are deeply in the process. So they're, they're, they're looking at the game film. Mhm. Right? So, I mean, watching Sundays going, hey, I watched your Sundays online. Let me tell you a couple of things that I saw that I think you could work on.
2: Hmm.
1: Like that that's very much of a, a a coach as well. So, um, you know, I think everybody needs a coach. I'm convinced everybody needs a coach. Part of the reason why we need a coach is because emotions cloud clarity. Mhm. And this is true for counseling as well. When we are in the emotions of the moment, we do not see things clearly. So what we need is we need somebody on the outside who's not emotionally connected to look with clarity into our situation. And go, here's what you need to do.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I remember a very specific time as a campus pastor. There was a, uh, a situation where I needed to release a staff member. And I went to Dan Riley. I mean, we, we would have our, our meetings and I, I had it all laid out. If, if you have meetings with Dan, you're prepared, by the way which is also good for coaching sessions. And I would have it all laid out, and I, I'd done my homework. And he would just sit there in his leather chair, and he would listen. And I remember him saying, after about the third conversation about the staff member, he said, Matt, it would seem to me that you have all the information you need to make the decision. You just have the, you just need the courage to make the decision. hmm." And what he was saying to me is, all right, you've done all the evaluation, you've done <laughs> you've looked at it from a million different ways. You you just gonna have to make a decision. Are you gonna, are you gonna let them go or not? Mm-hmm. And I needed to hear that. that that that's a good coach. He didn't make the decision for me. He didn't say, Let me make this easy for you. He probably knew a long time ago because he's that smart, but he let me walk through the process of it and you know it's one of those things that stuck and i'll never forget it
0: mm. well this just in we have the title of the book <laughs> it is leadership alone is not enough that is the name there it is. of the there book it is. it's more like a devotional leadership
1: alone is not enough it's
0: awesome okay so you've had a coach and at some point you became a coach you're working with sean lovejoy and his team um courage to lead courageous pastors how did you decide it was time for you to offer your services to be a coach and not just be coached?
1: Yeah. You know, obviously, uh, had a relationship with Sean. Um, but he extended the invitation, uh, to me to have a conversation about it. It was something that I, I, I was very interested in. And so we began a process. Um, and you know, I, I had actually been praying that, that God would open up some doors, even outside of Bethlehem church for me to be able to pour into other leaders. And I didn't know what that would look like. And so I began to pray about it. And then lo and behold, Sean called me. Mm. So uh, I think there was, there was a spiritual aspect and orchestration that happened, you know, behind the scenes there. But you know, I love Sean, love what he's doing, courage- Believing in courageous pastors. And Sean is a phenomenal coach. He's somebody that I pick up the phone and call when I have questions, and just—I mean, he, hes one of those guys who's been there and done that. Mm-hmm. And you know, in these this stage of my life, I'm moving into the sage years. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you're, you know, you know this, Rusty. I mean, you, you, your first your first 18 years, or maybe 21 years, you're you, you're it's all heart, right? I mean, it's all emotions and heart. Uh, and then in your, kind of your, your twenties and thirties, it kind of your warrior years, right? Like you're fight, you're, you're slaying dragons, you're fighting battles, you're doing the hard stuff. You're, you're in the battles. When you, when you move into your forties, you know, and you know, you, you're kind of in those King and Queen years, you're, you're sending people off to battle, right? You're that, that's what you're doing. And then when you move into those sage years, you're, you're, you're speaking in the lives of Kings and Queens, mm-hmm. like who are doing. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm pushing 50. I'm not there yet, but I I start feeling like at least at this stage that I want to be speaking into some Kings and Queens. And so, um, you know, God just allowed me to do that. And so I, there, there are currently four different, uh, lead pastors, um, in XPs that I have an opportunity and privilege. I really see it as a privilege to coach. So it's, 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 I find it sharpens my leadership as well, helping them solve problems,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially the ones that aren't my own.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, you have a clarity to it. There's a you're kind of you can see the forest uh, and not just the trees. And and when you're in it, you know this. All you can see are the people impacted by it. Uh, if I fire this person, that that means we're going to lose 50 people because of their sphere of influence, and I got six weeks of cleanup coming because of it. And you can't really see kind of the the bigger picture, which which coaching definitely does. Uh, Sean has been a guest on the show before. He's a friend. Uh, He is my coach. Uh, I I find him to be incredibly valuable in my leadership and for anybody interested in uh, checking out what this could look like, I encourage you to go to CourageousPastors.com. They are not a sponsor of the show. Uh, They're just a friend of the show and uh, we're excited about what they're doing. So, uh, Matt, uh, this has been tremendous wisdom. From parenting uh, to uh, leadership to being an executive pastor, um, LSU football, uh, everything uh, down the line. Um, Thank you for being a part of the of the show. Um, Any final words you'd give to our listeners about uh, uh, leading uh, in difficult seasons?
1: Yeah, leaders are learners, and never stop learning. I said that to our senior staff this morning. Uh, We live in a day and age uh, from a technological standpoint that is changing incredibly rapidly. Mm. And if, you know, just as, you know, just as doctors are in ongoing education often, we better be because the people we're leading in the generations that we are leading, um, see the world very different than we do,
2: mm-hmm.
1: very different than we do. And so if we're, if we're not in the cutting edge of this, if we're not growing as leaders, uh, then we're going to be empty Mm-hmm. We're going to be empty leaders. We're we're going to have nothing to pour pour out. Yeah. And I would just say, the greatest leadership, you know, that exists outside of your own leading yourself is your family.
2: Mm.
1: So, in, in a world where people are sacrificing their families for businesses and ministry and all that, it's, it's just not worth it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not worth it. Don't sacrifice your family. Mm. So your your kids are your greatest legacy. Uh, love your wife. Love your husband. Make them, the, make them the most important thing in your life outside of your relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Lead them well. Everything else will fall in place.
0: That's a drop the mic moment right there. Comes back to uh, what we talked about earlier about your dad, presence, proximity. Thank you. This has been great, Matt. Thank you, Rusty. Well, it's great stuff, Matt. I'm so, so grateful for your partnership on the show and encourage all of our listeners to share this with somebody else. Reach out to Matt on social media and thank him for being on the show. Next week, we have a returning guest. His name is Rich Birch. He's an expert in church growth. How in the world do we define growth now? Post-pandemic, numbers are tracking back up to what they were before pandemic. How do we evaluate everything? More people watching online. What does that look like for us when we're trying to lead a church? We're going to dive into that next week. So make sure you join us next week on Simple Faith, and make sure you share this with a friend. And as always, keep it simple.